this week I've been thinking a lot about mirrors. Uh, not because I've been spending a lot of time looking in them, um, but for various reasons that will become a little clearer as we keep going. But I, one of the things that I saw this week was actually a video on Facebook. You know, sometimes these things just pop up and it's just kind of random. Well, one of the videos that came up on my Facebook feed was uh, an experiment, kind of a, just a fun experiment that some people had done where they took a large mirror and they placed it in the middle of a jungle. And what happened is animals would come up to it, and of course, they didn't understand the concept of a mirror. And so there was at one point a leopard up against the mirror, and he's trying to attack this other leopard and wrestle with it. And of course, every time he approaches the mirror, which he doesn't realize is a mirror, every time he touches the other leopard, it's exactly matched, and they fall back, and he doesn't understand, and he just keeps going. Other animals, birds, and so on come, and they're coming up to this mirror and just seeing themselves, but that's something they've never done. Uh, some of us, we have had mirror experiences where we recognize in a person some qualities that are very much like our own. Maybe that comes uh, when we look back in time into our family history and we see like an old family photo of your mother or your grandparents and you go, oh my goodness, that's the spitting image, that's... That's like a mirror of me, or I see that person, my relative in that. Or maybe if you've been a parent or a grandparent, you look at uh, you know, one of your children or your grandchildren, and you say, ah, it's like looking in a mirror when I was that age. And we've had that kind of experience, I think, where there is a reflection, an image, a representation, a likeness that we see in different places. And sometimes when we see that image, that likeness, it's, it makes us laugh. Sometimes it causes us to think. Sometimes it makes us go, oh, no, my kids are doing the same bad habits that I do. Where did you learn that word? It was daddy. <laughs> it was mommy. And mirrors can be, of course, a reflection of who we are. And one of the key questions that all of us have as human beings is, who am I? Who am I really? When we look in a mirror, we see a sense of who we are, but let's be honest, the mirror isn't always accurate. In fact, what we're looking at is the mirror image of us. It's a reverse of how we look to everybody else. Maybe you've been to, to Sandspit, or you've been to Shining Waters, and you've been in one of those sort of, I forget what it's called, but it's that fun house where it's just full of mirrors, and you've looked, and it's distorted, and you look much taller than you normally do. I like that one. Um, but then there's the other one that makes you look much wider. <laughs> I don't like that one. <laughs> and mirrors, if they're not accurate, can be a distortion of the image, the, what you're actually, what the reality is. So mirrors can show us truth. Mirrors can actually deceive us as well. And so I want us to begin to look at who we are from the pages of Scripture and from the story of creation as God tells it to us. And as it said uh, in the video that we just watched, in the very first pages, it begins to talk about what it means to be human. Who we are, what we are about as human beings, what our purpose is, the reason we were created. And I want to take you to those verses now. All right, Genesis 1, 26 to 27. So this is, uh, if you'll remember, the sort of... Uh, 
events of the story, God is in the beginning. It's just God. God begins to create day one, day two, day three. He gets to day six, and he begins to fill the world uh, with people. And this is what he says. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So there's this image of God that's being impressed upon the world in the form of human beings. And human beings are created to be his image, the image of God. And the language here, there's a lot of things we could, we could pull from it. First of all, it says, let us make human beings. And ever since these words have been written, uh, those who have been faithful followers of God have, have struggled to understand, why does it say us? And there have been varying uh, explanations about why. Um, perhaps it's the sense of God speaking within his sort of Godfather, Son, Spirit. It's been one conjecture. Others, it's that God is perhaps speaking to the angels that he created, saying something like that. Others may just be referring to a sense of God sort of in his kingly rule, like we would talk about we the king, you know. Uh, Nevertheless, what we see here is God is saying that human beings are created to be like God in some way. And we're told that both male and both female are created in the image of God. I want to emphasize for us here, because sometimes there has been this idea that uh, men are somehow superior in created order to women. Here we see very clearly both are equally the image of God, and together the image of God. And so here we're not seeing a picture that men are somehow uh, greater than or better than women. In fact, both men and women are the image of God. There is a dignity and holiness to both. And it's a, a beautiful picture here of them ruling, subduing, uh, taking dominion over, reigning is the word in this translation, over all the things and parts of the world. So human beings are created to rule within the world as a representative of God. Both men, women, all together. Now there's a lot more we could say about some of those things with gender. We're actually going to look forward to a series uh, later in the fall where we talk about some of those things. Um, but for today, I want us to see that, that all human beings, all human beings, every single one, is created in the image of God. Um, what does that mean? The video that we just watched gave a great explanation of that. It's perhaps, for some of you, it was a lot to take in. For others of you, you were tracking with it really well. Um, but what does it mean to be the image of God? And I went back and was reflecting um, on... Uh, some, some writing of one of my former professors. He's since passed away, but he left a big mark on me as he was one of the professors I had most often. He was also a Baptist. He went to the church that I went to sometimes. Um, and here's a quote from him. His name is Stan Grenz. This is from his uh, systematic theology called Theology for the Community of God. And he says this, This design, God's intent for us, is that we mirror, for the sake of creation, the nature of the Creator. God has entrusted to us a special task with reference to creation, namely, that we serve as His representatives. We are to reflect to creation the nature of God. 
So in all things that God has created, human beings, our task, our intent, the reason he created us was to reflect his character to the world. To reflect the nature of God to the animals, the fish, the plants, but also the ground, the earth, the plants, the trees, all of it. That we would somehow, in some way, represent what God is like to all things throughout all the world. Now, how good a job are we doing? When you look at the world around you, do you have a sense that human beings are representing God well? Do you have a sense that the way that we relate to each other is something that represents the character of God? When you look at the the fighting, the war, if you watch the news, you'll see all kinds of explanations of how we've treated each other very differently than God's character would seem to suggest. You think of the issues of race, how that's played out. You think of issues of uh, conquering and dominance and empiricism and colonialism that we've been talking about in the news, especially in relationship to some of our indigenous neighbors. You think about how uh, there have been different communities that have struggled with poverty in various forms, how um, corporations have gotten richer during the pandemic and CEOs have made billions of dollars while the average worker is struggling just to be able to find an apartment building here in Charlottetown. Are we as human beings reflecting the nature of God within the creation? Are we reflecting who the creator is. I talked earlier at the start of the sermon about how some mirrors are a distortion of. And the story of creation tells us how human beings chose to live in disobedience to God, to live their own way, not God's way. And that creates a distortion of that image in the world. It creates that funhouse mirror that makes you look wider than you want to be or shorter than you want to be, or perhaps taller than you want to be, but it's a distortion. Sometimes we experience it like a foggy mirror, like when you get out of the shower or something, and you can't see in the mirror but for a dim kind of reflection of color and some sense of shape. We are meant to be a mirror, a reflection of God, and yet that that image is often very distorted in our world. It's the the world that we live in now, there's a brokenness to it. It was created for something good, for something beautiful. And yet, something isn't the way it was intended to be. Let's go on to the next slide here. I want to now begin to look at some verses from Colossians. And what these verses do, as I alluded to last week, they help us to see, once again, with clarity, what it means for us to live as human beings in a new way. And how does that foggy mirror become clear again? How does that distorted reflection of what God is like become uh, something with clarity for us today? Well, it comes about in Jesus. And as I referred last week, the beginning of Colossians 1, there is another origin story being told, not in the same way that Genesis 1 was, but the origin story of how God created the world and all that it was intended for is being told through the lens of Jesus. And once again, I want to remind you that now as Christians, here on the other side of all that's happened in the story of the Bible, we look back on creation, we look to the world around us through the lens of Jesus. And we see that, once again, because Jesus came incarnated in the flesh, 
that it shows that matter creation is actually something good and it's worth redeeming. So let's look again to Colossians 1 and then we're going to look at some other verses from Colossians because some of these themes go throughout the entire letter. Colossians 1 verse 15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Does that sound familiar? He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So we're being told that Jesus is that image of God that we have been looking to see all along, that we poorly reflect now. And we begin to see what it, what it was supposed to be like, what it was intended to be like for human beings in Jesus. I want to show you the paraphrase of the message that's here on the lower heart, half of the screen. And here, um, Gene Peterson has translated that, paraphrased it in his own way, but I think it gives us a really beautiful way of hearing this in, in regards to what we're talking about today. The way he put it was, we look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything he created. When we look at Jesus, we see what it was supposed to be like for a human being to live here on this earth. That human being reflects the nature and qualities of God. In Jesus' case, it's because he is God. But we're seeing a human being walking around on the earth actually living a life of care for others, concern for the world around him, serving, giving with generosity, kindness, love, compassion. All of those character qualities that we would ascribe to God are being demonstrated in that one human being. And in Jesus, we see what it means for us to really live. What it's supposed to look like. What it can be for us now. Because Jesus makes a new way of being human possible, as we heard earlier. We look at the sun and see the God who cannot be seen. So we're seeing God, but we're also seeing what we are meant to look like. We look at the sun and see God's original purpose in everything he created. Let's continue on in Colossians, because there's some other verses that, that we hear um, pointing to a sense of things about this. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, which is to say for us, human bodies are created good. And some of us don't like our bodies very much. We'd be happy if we got a different model, or if we could somehow upgrade it. Or we, we begin to just think about the aches and pains that we experience that the world has. We think the world uh, is struggling because the physical world is somehow bad. That's a common thought, even in the Christian world. But that's not the case. Jesus was able to inhabit a human body because matter was created to be good. Yes, there is a brokenness. Yes, there is a weightiness that's a distortion of things. But in Jesus, we see... It was meant to be good, and it was meant to be whole all along. And that it once again can be that. Later in Colossians 3, verses 10 and then 17, it says to us, put on your new nature, be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Again, it's calling us back to what it means to be the image of God, but also calling us forward into a new life. A life that's possible because of Jesus. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. 
We're not being called to something new. We're being called back to our original purpose as human beings to reflect the quality and character of God within the world. But it's made possible because the distortion, the foggy mirror, the lack of clarity that we have, the brokenness that exists in our world is being reconciled by the work of Jesus. And earlier in Colossians 1, as we heard last week, we saw that Jesus made peace with everything in heaven and earth by the work of his blood on the cross. Peace, wholeness, shalom. In Jesus, we see clearly what it means for us to be truly human. In Jesus, it's made possible for us to live fully as human beings once again. And it's not something that is simply accomplished in our own strength and power because it was our power and strength that got us in this mess in the first place. Instead, we are once again called back to living by the power of God's Spirit within us so that we might look like Jesus, who's shown us the way to live. I want to take you to those verses here. Next, we see them uh, in Genesis 2-7. So this is back in the creation origin story, but I want to see also how it reflects in the story of Jesus, in the life of Jesus for us. Genesis 2-7, see in chapter 1 of Genesis, we have uh, sort of the big picture of God creating the whole entire world. And it ends with God looking at all that he created and saying, it is good. And then in chapter 2, as the story continues, it retells sort of mostly day 6, where it talks about human beings in particular. And in that retelling, it talks about how God created human beings. In Genesis 1, it was just simply saying, let us make human beings in our image. And now here in Genesis 2, we're seeing it a little more up close and personal. Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Within the story, we are getting a very clear picture of how personally God is involved in the creation of human beings. How intimately God wants to be and needs to be involved in human life in order for us to live. We were designed, we were created to live in intimate connection, dependence upon the life of God himself. And if we are apart from the breath of God, then we're not really a living person anymore. And there's something about the distortion When we live under brokenness, under sin, under poor choices, under choices that turn us away from God, that we no longer reflect God, but we also don't live in his power and strength in the way that we're designed to. A a number of years ago, uh, especially when I was working with a lot of newcomers to Canada, I had some friends uh, that were refugees from Bhutan. And I remember the time that they bought their, their minivan, and they were just so proud, and they were so happy. And then he began to tell me the story of a a decision he'd made one day that was very poor. He had noticed that there were different types of gas and that one type of gas was much cheaper than another. So he decided he would buy the diesel gas because it was just so much cheaper. And then, of course, he told me about having to take his new-to-him minivan 
to the mechanic and have that all dealt with. We, as human beings, often look for the wrong fuel. We look for the thing that's easier, that's cheaper, that just seems to make more sense because it seems more pleasurable. Well, I'll save some money this way, or I'll get this, and I've got this advantage. And as human beings, we're trying to do it in the wrong power. But we are meant, we are designed to live on the power of God. That's the only way that human beings can really, truly live. And in Jesus, we see this all the more clearly. We were created in Genesis 2 to be living by the breath of God, the Spirit of God. The the breath, the wind, that's the word, the same word for spirit here. And so we are told that human beings are meant to live by the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God's power. And then we see this again. Jesus comes in the flesh, showing us that humanity has value and dignity, that you can be a human being and have integrity and goodness. And after his death, which accomplishes a renewal of the, the cleansing and the healing of the world, it begins to initiate all of that. Then we see his resurrection, where he is restored to a bodily form with healing and wholeness and integrity. And then he shows up and he speaks to his disciples. And at the end of John, in chapter 20, we see this. Jesus is speaking to them now. He's telling them that he's going to go away but he's leaving them with his own power. And he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now that could sound really weird to us. You know, you've got a heavy breather coming around at a, at a, a dinner party or something and they're just up in your face. <laughs> this would be rather awkward. Uh, in, in fact, in the back seat of my car yesterday, as we were going to get some ice cream, one of my children was breathing heavily on the others, and it was a very unpleasant experience for all of us. And he kept doing it on purpose to annoy his siblings. But I won't tell you which of my children it was. This would seem like a weird picture, but what's being conveyed to us? What is Jesus doing? Jesus isn't being weird and gross. He's not breaking social distancing in an awkward way. It's not that he should be wearing a mask to avoid the droplets, as, uh, as uh, Justin Trudeau said, speaking moistly. <laughs> Jesus is here showing us very clearly that he is creating a new humanity. He is allowing us to live with a new power. In fact, it's the power we were designed to live by in the first place. It's the Spirit of God. And when we are in relationship with him, when we are in intimate relationship with Jesus, just as at the beginning, human beings were created intimately and personally by God, when we are in an intimate personal relationship so close that he breathes on you, you can live by the power of his Spirit in a whole new way. And that new life, that new way of being human is only possible when we're in relationship with Jesus, when we're we're that close. And there's this beautiful picture now that we see that John 20, verses 22, is reflecting, showing us once again, pointing us back to our design, our intention, and our opportunity for living in a new way and a new start all over again. And so Jesus is making this possible for us. Let's go to the next slide here. 
as we do that, we see another quote from Stanley Grins. This is a different book this time, but again, it's, he's continuing his own thoughts and teaching. This book is called Created for Community. Again, what are we created for? What's our purpose? And he takes us back to reflect on how we are meant to demonstrate the nature, the quality, the character of God. He writes this. Because God himself is triune, that means he's a trinity, three in one, God, Father, Son, Spirit. Because God himself is triune, we are in the image of God only as we enjoy community with others. Only as we live in fellowship can we show forth what God is like. Ultimately, then, the image of God is a social reality. It refers to humans as beings in fellowship. As we live in love, that is, as we give expression to true community, we reflect the love which characterizes the creator himself. And as we reflect God's character, which is love, we also live in accordance with our own true nature. We need each other in order to reflect the nature and quality and character of God. Because, as we're told in the Bible, God is love. We are designed to be in partnership and relationship with other human beings and with the world around us. And the way that we reveal the character of God is through loving one another, through caring for the creation that God has made and the people that God has created. When we love, we reveal the character of God within the world and we live out our purpose. We live in accordance with our own true nature, as Stan Grins wrote. That's what it means for us to be the image of God. That was the character of Jesus that we saw. We've known great love because we've seen Jesus, John writes in one of his letters. We know love because we've seen Jesus, and now we see in him what it was like for us, what we were supposed to be from the very beginning. Living in a way that reflects the love and life of God in all things. We do this in community together. We see that back in the story of Genesis as well. Let's go there, back into Genesis chapter, chapter 2. In Genesis 2.18, uh, again, it's a close-up view of God creating human beings, and we saw he, he formed the man from the dust, breathed life, and then uh, there's this story about human being, this man needs a partner. He's, it's, it's the only thing that God says isn't good as he's creating. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. You know, if we were to sort of say it a little bit more cynically, you'd be like, can't leave this guy alone. He's going to get up to no good. He's, he, he needs a partner. In fact, if you remember the story, God brings all the animals and God looks and, and, and Adam looks at all of the animals and realizes that none of them is a suitable partner for him. And the word here, partner, is reflecting on the idea of an equal partner, someone that matches wits with him, that complements strengths and abilities and, and so on. And, um, and to say the word helper, the word helper is not like his subordinate. It's not like the man needs an assistant or a secretary. Or, no, no, no. This is an equal partner. The man needs his equal. 
In fact, the word that's used here for helper in Hebrew is a word that's used of God. So in no way is it diminutive because it can be used of God himself. So human beings, male, female, are equally God and together reflect the nature of God more fully because they're able to reflect love for each other. And so we see right from the beginning pages of story, we have to live together. We have to live in a way that is uh, representative of God as love. And we can only really do that together. And then there's this interesting verse at the end of chapter 2, Genesis 2, 25. It says, now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That's our memory verse for today. <laughs> that was a joke. I, I mean, you're welcome to memorize it, but I'm not going to be checking next week. Uh, in fact, there's, there's a saying, uh, uh, Jim, uh, I think his name is Jim Beverly. He was uh, an expert on cults uh, teaching up in Tyndale Seminary for many years. Uh, and, and Jim was asked, how do you know when you're in a cult? And he said, if they ask you to take off your clothes, it's probably a cult. <laughs> we are not going to do anything like that here today. Um, but what's being conveyed here? First of all, I think several, there's several things, but the first of all, when the human beings, man and wife, man and woman, are together and naked, they're not ashamed because God has created them good. And their bodies aren't something to be ashamed of, physically. And I think that's helpful for us to know. You know, We weren't created to look in the mirror and be disappointed by what we see. And it's a shame that the world, in many ways, puts on us ideas of how we aren't good enough. But when God looks at you, he looks at you as his creation that he loves. And human beings were meant to live in such a way that there was no shame with who they were. So there's a sense of goodness that's once again being emphasized by this. But I think it also speaks to how they relate to one another and how we can relate to one another, not with physical nakedness, but with a sense of vulnerability before each other. The way that Jesus creates us and makes us as new human beings allows us to see that we need to live in partnership with each other. We have to live a life of love towards each other. And to do so, we have to be vulnerable with each other. We have to expose our true thoughts and our true feelings to allow ourselves to be seen and to be known, to confess to each other when we are living with a distorted life, when we are broken, when we aren't reflecting the nature of God, to confess that to each other, to encourage one another when we see that that person is doing that, to love each other in that way, and to know each other fully, to be able to stand in front of the mirror of God and see his likeness reflected in us, but also to recognize just that there is goodness there that we can, we can enjoy without shame because we stand with integrity, with wholeness before him because of what Jesus has done. So throughout creation, we were meant to live without shame, without this burden of us not being good enough. We were meant to live with strength and dignity before each other and before God. What a beautiful picture that is for us. What a great reminder it is for us to remember that we were created for good. That God loves us in what he created in us. That God has a purpose for us, an intention for us, that we can be like him when his breath is in us. 
And all the more so that that's possible because of Jesus and what Jesus has done. So I ask you this. Are you living in a way that reflects the nature of God? Would people look at you and say, there's something good there that I can't quite put my finger on? Would people look at you and say, I don't really know what motivates him or her, but man, they love me. Man, they care about me. They showed up for me when this happened and this was going on. Wow, they really, they really cared about me. They were really kind. Or, you know, they didn't have to be that patient with me, but they were. They didn't have to forgive me, but they did. Would people look at you and see that? Would people in the world around you, would they look and say, that person cares for the world that they live in? They're not just living for themselves. Would you be able to reflect on your own choices, your own lifestyle decisions, and say, I'm living in a way that honors God's creation, even in the physical world. I'm taking care of the land around me. I'm making choices that don't exploit the world that we live in, that don't destroy it further, or that minimize my impact. Would people look at your life? Would you look at your life and be able to recognize that God is somehow reflected in how you live? And if not, why not? It's possible to live in a new way. It's possible to live with a new power. It's possible because of Jesus. And I hope that you will find your life in him. In an intimate connection where his breath fills you with power and strength by his spirit. I'm going to close with one final verse, and it's very similar of what we've been talking about. It's from Ephesians this time. Let's look at that verse here. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do, because you're his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. When we think about how the world was created for good, think about the picture of Christ, and in him you see all that it means for you to truly live. Find your life in him. Live a life of love based on the love we've seen in him. And you'll never run short. You'll never run dry. You'll live with a fullness unlike you ever possibly could on your own. Because Jesus is the picture of what it means for us to really live as human beings in the world. May we do so. May we do so. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we see in you what it means for us to live well. And you said that you came that we might have life to the full, life that is abundant, And so we look to you for life. We look to you for the path and pattern for our own living. But we also look to you for the power that we need to live, and that is your spirit. May we represent you well in the world, and may people see the life of the holy God represented within us. May we reflect your character and nature in all things, whatever we're doing or saying in the world, so that more would come to know you, more would experience your goodness and that we would know the fullness of what it means for us to live in the way you intended. In the name of Jesus, we pray.